I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Yo, yo, what up? It's DJ Rob Swift, executioners, brolic arm fame, and you're listening to Rebel Radio. One love. Fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, my guest is the one and only DJ Rob Swift. Rob is a legendary turntablist, champion, uh, member of the Executioners, the X-Men, and he's been teaching the art of DJing for many, many years. He's now launching his own DJ school, the Brolic Army DJ School, and uh, we get into some incredible discussions about the history of DJing, about you know the the art form and and what it means to people who are learning and and what it means to him and and how he goes about perfecting his craft year after year decade after decade um never stop challenging himself it's it's a great conversation let's get into it right now Uh, but right on, man. It's great to meet you, dude. I've, I've been following you forever, and uh, and I think we know a lot of people in common. Um, but you know, it's good to finally finally connect and hear about what you're up to. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having right me. On. On yes. Yeah, man. Well, let's let's dig into it. I want to talk about some of uh, some of the history and some of the current stuff you're working on. I know you got a new album dropping, um, so maybe maybe that's a good place to start. Tell me about the Halls of Karma project. So Halls of Karma is a project I started working on towards the end of last year. Um, basically, myself and The Real DMT, who's an underground rapper from New York City, got together a few years back 
I used to DJ at this spot called Queen's Comfort, which is a restaurant in Astoria, Queens. Mm-hmm. But the theme is hip hop. So I would DJ for brunch on Saturdays. It's in the neighborhood. And I'd have guest DJs like the Large Professor. I had Supernatural come through and kick some freestyles and talk about people's food and stuff. It's a, it was a really cool spot. It closed down because of COVID. Sure. Sure. But back then when I was doing this brunch party, DMT happened to pop up on the same day that Supernatural was performing. And mm. we met, we exchanged numbers just the way you do when you meet another like-minded hip hop enthusiast mm-hmm. and we in touch. He ended up coming to the brunches on Saturdays and rhyming at this three o'clock flow themed five minute, 10 minute set that we started. Myself, the host of the brunch, James Avatar and the real DMT. And okay. that, I started to, I guess, realized that DMT was talented beyond just a person that could kick freestyle raps. The stuff that he wrote about was very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. And we ended up working together and we put out an EP last year, this same month called mm-hmm. The Cure on Fat Beats. And that was like right in the middle of COVID. And we felt like we wanted to throw out an album that reflected the times, the craziness, all the, stresses that people were going through and feeling. We put all that in a creative way into an EP entitled The Cure. So a year later, here we are again, about to release our follow-up sophomore EP called Halls of Karma. And, you know, it's dope, man, because like DMT isn't the average modern rapper. Most rappers now rap about how good they rap or Mm -hmm. write rhymes about how good they write rhymes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's all braggadocious stuff or it's, I have this much money. I sell this amount of drugs. I kill this amount of people. And DMT is a different kind of MC. He's he's cut from a different cloth. So he really touches a lot of current events. Mm -hmm. Obviously he's opinionated, so he, slips his opinion about stuff here and there as he's rhyming. But when you listen to a song of his, you sit down and you you think. It makes you think about yourself, how you relate to the world and society. And for that reason, I'm just proud of the EP, man. So it drops Friday, May 14th. Okay. And hopefully people will support. I know it's not the popular style of hip hop that people usually listen to you know, in their leisure time, we're sure. tackling some serious uh, topics, but I think it's it's a really solid project and I'm really proud of it. I mean, I think those of us that love hip hop, right, we, we understand that there's room for all of that, right? There's always been rappers rapping about how great they are and how tough they are. And, you know, battling is a big, has been a big part of the art form from day one, right? And, and, uh, and yet, so, so are social issues. And so is, you know, people really digging into what they're going through. And I think, you know, there's, uh, I think, you know, if you, if you love the art and the culture, then 
then there's room for all of that. Um, and I, and I think you're right. Sometimes there's, there's more of one and not enough of another. Right. right. Um, so when you, when you do that, I know you, you collaborated, you know, you've had great collaborations throughout the years. Um, what do you, what are you looking for in a collaborator? Is it just a vibe or, or, you know, what makes you want to really fuck with somebody? I don't necessarily, I wish I had like a really cool answer for that. I don't okay. think I have any real criteria. Okay. Sometimes people hit me up that are, for lack of a better word, nobodies. And I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way, but sometimes a guy on Facebook that just wants me to scratch on his music, but nobody knows mm -hmm. and never released the project might hit me up. And if his energy's right, and I feel like why not help this person try to fulfill their dream, I'll collaborate with them, you know? And there are times where more established artists hit me up. I had a guy from Russia who's huge in Russia reach out to me about a year ago, right before COVID on to work on a project that he was putting together an album. And mm -hmm. I did that. And like, I don't even know, I, I don't think I ever met the guy. I never had a conversation with him over the phone. He just, wow. he just hit me up on social media, explaining to me what the project was about. It was a political angle to it. And I'm all about that. Like, fuck. Mm -hmm political science like was my favorite subject in college. So yeah, I guess what I am, as I hear myself talk, you know, dialing it back to how we started talking about halls of karma and how I linked up with the real DMT. If your message is a message that I can get behind, if, if you're saying something that makes me feel like, yeah, that, that needs to come out, that needs to be heard, then I'm gonna collaborate with you, you know? Mm -hmm. And otherwise it's about the energy that the artist has. If they have good energy and they're coming to this from a perspective of just wanting to be creative and, and experiment, I'm all about that. So I'll collaborate with you, but I don't really have like a, a, a specific criteria in that okay. sense. I just like having fun, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to is having fun. And, making music is a great way to experience yourself being creative and having fun while you're doing it. Sure. That's amazing, man. And, and it's funny, you know, you talk about a hip hop themed restaurant. You know, I remember when, you know, we were, you know, hip hop is in the car and then you get out and you go to a restaurant and there's like classical music or, you know, some smooth jazz or whatever. Right. And, and, you know, now you're talking about some dude from Russia hits you up and like, you know, did you ever think, I know you've been at the top of this game for 30 years, damn near, right? Did, did you ever think it was going to get to this point culturally where, where you know, our little culture would, would just be dominating all over the planet? Well, on the one hand, there's no limit to what you can do or what hip hop as a collective can do, right? Mm -hmm. There are no boundaries, there are no limitations. And I don't mean to sound corny, but the only boundaries and limitations that exist are the ones that you set in your mind about a thing, right? But it doesn't necessarily surprise me that 
this art form has become what it is because it's such a organic, authentic way of self-expression. Mm -hmm. Hip hop to me is the ultimate form of self-expression. Take a DJ who has turntables and then stumbles across a, a movement of the record back and forth hears a sound being coaxed out of the speakers as a result of that movement, and then starts to perfect that move and try to add on to it, all because he was curious. And for the, those DJs out there that know, I'm talking about Grand Wizard Theodore. You know, mm -hmm. this kid at 12, 13 years old stumbled across scratching in the mid 70s, and it evolved to a billion dollar industry and companies yeah. are designing equipment and selling it for two, three, four grand sure. that based on something that has its origins in a movement that a little young black kid from the Bronx, New York city stumbled across on in his bedroom while his mom was yelling at him. Mm. So I think that's a great example of how much potential this art form was always had. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when I also think about myself though, and where I've ended up, especially considering my humble beginnings, my first DJ party was at my junior high school. I, I was in the sixth grade, my dad let me borrow his equipment and I DJed the junior high school dance, and I got paid $50. If you would have told me then, <laughs> fast forward, you know, 2021, people would be reaching out, on, reaching out to me on social media, asking me for interviews like this, that I'd be releasing EPs, mm -hmm. that I'd be a worldwide celebrated, not to pat my own back, but, DJ, it's incredible. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that like that I saw. I don't think I, yeah. I saw that happening. But again, there's no real limit to potential, man. Like if you keep doing something, it just snowballs and there are ripple effects that just continue going on. And I think my career is a microcosm of hip hop mm -hmm. when you think about it and how it's evolved. And it continues to go. There's, there's no real limit to it. So if you don't mind, take me back to the very beginning. And even before you were DJing, do you, you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Yes, definitely. I actually have it right here. <laughs> this is the first record I ever purchased. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Nice. UTFO. Dope. Their album. Uh, yeah, man, like this, this project here really set the tone for me with regards to understanding how to scratch on records. And mm. it's cool that you brought that up because I'm dropping an EP tomorrow. And obviously there are a ton of scratches on it. And this record was one of the records that I listened to that inspired me to practice and to study how 
to approach recording scratches in the studio. So Mixmaster Ice, this guy right here, man, is a DJ god. And he was the first one to use the ah sound mm. on record. And since then, every DJ has used it, whether it be in a battle routine or on some promo video on social media, everyone scratches the ah sound. And this song, uh, well, this album has a specific song called Roxanne, Roxanne. And, and that's the first record I ever purchased as a kid. And from there, it was just history, dude. I just kept buying records and studying scratches on records because the idea of manipulating a turntable and manipulating sound the way DJs like Grammix or DST, Mixmaster Ice, Flash, Theodore did. It was just magnetic for me. And um, I fell in love with the R4, man. And, and yeah, fast forward to today, you know, I'm one of the guys now that have pioneered scratching and DJing and beat juggling exactly. and all that stuff. So yeah. it's a blessing, sure. Check this out. If your business suffered maybe during the pandemic or maybe you took the opportunity to launch a new business, if you're carrying credit card balance um, and wasting money every month on, on interest payments, you need to get out of debt, let me hook you up. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. You can pay off your credit cards, consolidate some of your high interest debts, or maybe just fund personal expenses uh, like I said, get that new entrepreneurial venture up off the ground. Uh, you can do it through Upstart. Unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. It's not just based on your credit score alone. And you can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. It's all online. You never have to leave your house. It takes uh, five minutes to go through the application process and you might get some money. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash rebelradio. That's upstart.com slash rebelradio. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash rebelradio. Do it now. So, so back to that six, sixth grade party. Uh, what was the feeling after that? Did you did you feel like, I mean, I guess I must have gone okay because you kept doing it. Yeah, um, it was awesome, man. Um, during the party, my fondest memory is of friends walking up to the DJ set and their mouths were open and they just, they were just like, yo, Robert, because, you know, I was Robert back then to everybody, not Rob Swift. And right. it was like, yo, Robert, like, how is it that you know how to work all this equipment? Like, I was this little kid, 12 years old, with headphones yeah. on, picking up the needle, finding the spot I wanted to play, dropping it, mixing. But I owe all that to my dad and my older brother because they passed on DJing to me. And mm -hmm. they did it in such a way that even at 12 years old, I understood how to rock a party. So... That was dope, you know, my friends being impressed by me DJing. Sure. And from there, I just wanted to continue to spread my name amongst the neighborhood and amongst the school. So I would make mixtapes, mm -hmm. give them to people or sell them for like five, 10 bucks. 
And next thing you know, by the time I got to high school, my high school friends were asking me to DJ their house parties, birthday parties, New Year's Eve parties, just like my dad did. I started being uh, that guy in the neighborhood that people would track down to DJ their event. Mm -hmm. So from there, I ended up DJing at like nightclubs locally in the neighborhood of Queens, New York City. And then finally, I discovered DJ battles like the DMC, mm -hmm. the New Music Seminar Battle for World Supremacy, cats like Steve D, DJ Aladdin, Cutmaster Swift, Cat, uh, I don't know if I mentioned Cash Money. Cash Money, Jazzy Jeff. Yeah, all those guys just really made an impression on me because up until discovering the battles, I thought the limit, the cap to what you could do as a DJ was what you'd hear on the radio. Sure. From Marley Mall, Red Alert, Chill, Chill Out, or what you would hear on you know records like UTFOs, Roxanne, Roxanne, Mixed mm -hmm. Master Ice cutting it up. I, I just wanted to be as good as those guys because to me, that was the limit. That was as best as you can get. And then I discovered DJ battles and realized, no, there's still more to this. So it just kept going organically. Like each year I discovered a new reason to want to improve, a new goal. I created incentive within me to establish myself not just my name but myself as a creative being and get better and that just kept going and to this day that's still who i am whether it's working on a project releasing an ep like calls of karma i recently launched a dj school called brolic army dj school back in january and i'm experiencing myself as a teacher of dj art so in an organic way, I keep progressing somehow. And it seems like I wake up every day with some sort of meaning, like, all right, what am I gonna do today to give back to the art form, to get better within myself, to help someone grow? And the fact that DJing is at the nucleus of all that sure. is super dope. Was there, was there a moment when you realized you could teach this because you know teaching is different than than performing or or competing or whatever right how did that emerge for you um well as a teenager you're in high school by then everyone knew that I could DJ and that I was pretty good a lot of times my friends would come over Mm -hmm. to my parents' house and just watch me DJ. They were my private audience. So sure. they'd sit on my mom's couch and just watch me cut it up. And I think that a lot of times, because they were so impressed, they would ask me, yo, how did you do that there? Like, and walk up to the set and I'd take their hand and put it on the record and move it and tell them mm -hmm. like, this is what I'm doing. This is how I get that sound. So I think indirectly i started teaching fairly early on so okay. now properly teaching this art form in the setting of an online school like brolic army dj school yeah it just comes natural to me because 
as a kid, when my friends would come over to watch me practice, I would teach them what I was doing. So mm-hmm. I'm just doing it now with a video camera in front of me mm-hmm. and I'm more, I add more theory and, and um, I have this doctrine that I've constructed and built over the last few years that I pass on. Whereas back then as a kid, I was just like, nah, yo, take your hand and move the record back and forth. Like there's more of a rhyme and a reason to what I teach and how I teach it as compared to before. But at the end of the day, you're still passing on something. So, yeah. So can, can you explain that doctrine? Like if I think about, you know, I know there's, I know you've taught at at other schools and, and there's more and more DJ schools popping up. Um, what's the, you know, tell me about Brolic Army and, and what are you trying to do that's different than maybe what other people are doing? I think the main thing about my doctrine within the Brolic Army DJ school that differs and separates itself from the other DJ schools, like you said, there are a bunch popping up almost every mm-hmm. day. Someone sure. at a new school and they're teaching people how to DJ yep. is history. I think the fact that I came up during an era where the techniques that all these DJ schools teach were being created and I was there to watch the majority of it be discovered, then built on and amplified and made better and turned into other techniques. I've seen it all grow from... Honestly, I'm not going to say day one, because obviously day one would be cool Herc, grounds sure. and it's not like I was going to their park jams, but I had an old brother that went to a lot of those jams and he would bring home cassette tapes of Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Grounds of Theodore and the Fantastic Five Freaks, Cold Crush Brothers with Tony Tone, Charlie Chase, Jazzy J and the Jazzy Five, Africa Bambata, and the Soul Sonic Force. Um, I could go on and on. And I pride myself on the fact that I could list off those names and tell you who's who within the group, what they did, what they contributed, and then teach you the techniques so that you have context on where those techniques evolved from. And honestly, I would say a big majority of the DJ schools that exist now, and I don't say this as a diss to them, but a big majority of the DJ schools that exist now couldn't tell you the history or the sure. origin of the techniques that they teach. Okay. They know they know a flare and they'll teach you the steps to land a flare, mm-hmm. but technique is just one aspect of an art form. There's right. also the history and mm-hmm. the history to me is just as important as the technique because it gives you the student context on what you've just learned so that then you have the foresight to take it farther opposed to being told, here's the flare and that's it. Because then you learn the flare, but in your head, okay, I just learned the flare. Now teach me another technique. Whereas where I come from is, yo, Theodore started scratching, but then Flash took what Theodore was doing and added the fader. And then Grand Mixer DST added the fader and was cutting with Herbie Hancock with a band and turned 
all of those techniques into something you could morph into a jazz ensemble. And then this guy came along and you know what I mean? Like I mm -hmm. saw it grow, I saw it evolve and, yeah. and that's how I teach. And that's the main thing about my doctrine that I think rivals any other DJ school. And I say that with confidence. Um, when you watch my tutorials, you always have, before I even teach you the first step of a beat juggle or a scratch, you sit down and for 10, 15 minutes, you're going through the history of the technique that you're going to learn in that specific tutorial. Yeah. So um, I, I really pride myself on that. And I see how that's benefited my students. And I see how fast my students learn. And I see how after they learn, they end up a lot of them, not all of them, because obviously everyone has their own rate and speed with which they absorb things. But a lot of my students end up entering competitions and thriving. I have one student that I trained online, never met him in person. This guy named Wall Z lives in Australia. Started training him in March of 2016. By 2019, he won the national Australian DMC title. And then in 2020, he repeated and won that national title again. So wow. with three years, four years, he's a two-time champion of the DMC. So Amazing. started off not knowing how to beat juggle and do all the sure. crazy stuff that he does now. So, and that was just training online. So yeah, man, I'm really proud of what I've accomplished as a teacher of DJ art. And I'm really excited about launching this Brolic Army DJ school because now more people throughout the world have access to knowledge that they can't get at any other DJ school, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I love that answer because I think, you know, look, to me, hip hop without the culture, without the history and the tradition, it's just music, right? And, and you know, I think what, what ties this to, uh, you know, what ties us to this is those stories, right? Is the, you know, knowing that as a DJ, you're part of this tradition that's been going on since the seventies and that you're standing on the shoulders of these giants, right? And I think, you know, that that pushes people. And it's interesting, you know, I, you know, on the one hand, like all these DJ schools are popping up exactly at the time when the technique of DJing is easier than it's ever been, right? Because, you know. Great point. And so we, you know, you really don't need, I mean, frankly, you don't even have to learn how to DJ to, to DJ, right? To go, true. go to a restaurant and play records, right? True. Um, and, you know, and so I think that's the part that I see that's missing, not just necessarily from the schools, but from, from the art form in general, right? Is, is those stories and those traditions. Uh, right. And I think it's really meaningful. That's dope. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Talk about, you know, you're teaching people to, to work harder than they have to, right? Like I could, you know, I, I could take the easy way out, hit the sync button, you know, just download an app on my phone, play records and, you know, get some of the same, uh, accolades, same encouragement from the girls or whatever than, than the dude that's like really doing it. Um, so how do you, how do you, 
how do you instill that in people, right? How do you help them rationalize the hours of practice, the, the sweat that technically they could get away without? I always remind them that they're not the only student I'm teaching. You know, I have a method to which I teach. And if, let's say, 50 students come to me wanting to learn how to beat juggle, I have a certain way to explain the different techniques that they need to learn to become competent beat jugglers. But then I always tell them, I had a student come to my house yesterday wanting to learn the same stuff that I'm teaching you today. So how are you going to separate yourself from the 50 other DJs that I teach this stuff to tomorrow? Because all of you have the same goal or similar goals to compete, make a name for yourself, get respect, but you're not gonna do that or achieve that if all of you sound the same. So it's like, I could give you the techniques and say, this is what you need to learn. But that drive to wanna own the techniques and change them so that people that watch you perform are like, yo, I didn't think about doing that in that way, really is within you. You have to have that drive. And verbally, I push my students, you know, I always tell them like, a lot of people know how to do the breakdown pattern. That's the first pattern that I teach as a beat juggler. It's the first move. It's like the alphabet. You gotta, it starts with the letter A and then B and then C all the way to Z, right? So fine, you learned a breakdown pattern, but what are you gonna do to it, to own it, to redefine it, to separate yourself so that you don't sound like the 49 other students that learned a breakdown pattern in the last month. Sure. So from there, it's on the student. You know what I mean? From there, it's on the person to have the, the drive to want to practice and want to get better like I did. You know, when I first met my mentor, the guy that helped me train from, from my first DMC competition, Dr. Butcher, he used to DJ for Cool G Rap. It's like an underground legend here in New York City. I remember I went to his house and I thought I was going to impress him when I was meeting him for the first time, thanks to my buddy Juju from the Beat Nuts. He was like, yo, man, I'm going to take you to Dr. Butch's house. And I went over his house, trained with this guy who I was being told was really dope and was from the neighborhood. And when I walked into his house, in my head, I thought, I'm going to impress him because I could do what Steve D does. I could do what Aladdin does. I could do what Jazzy Jeff does. I could do what Cash Money does. And I proceeded to get on his set and do all the stuff that these DJs that were revered and celebrated could do. And then he got on. And not only was he as good as those DJs, he was unique. He was original. He wasn't using the same records that those guys were using that I was following and studying. He was using records I never even thought about using that they didn't think about using. And he humbled me. I realized like, wow, man, all this time, I thought being good meant being able to do what the best DJs were doing. And he sat me down right after we finished practicing and was like, Rob, you're great at copying. 
you got to be great at finding your own voice and and maximizing your potential as a DJ and being creative. A creative version of Rob Swift, not a creative version of the DJs you look up to. And that's when the light bulb went off and I never looked back. After that talk, every day I woke up wanting to figure out a way to just draw in more of my personality into the the DJ aspect of turntablism and battling and coming up with a routine so that when I got on the stage, people weren't going to confuse me with anyone else, any other DJ that came before me or any of the DJs that were on that stage that I was going to stand out. And I I think I succeeded in doing that. And I think that's why you had me on your show. And that's enough reason for anyone out there watching this or any of my students to want to be unique is that the dividends of that are, they, they last for years and years and years, but you could be, great at scratching, great at beat juggling, but you kind of just sound like every other beat juggler. And mm-hmm. you might win a competition, but are you going to have longevity? Are people going to celebrate you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line? And in order to do that, you got to be able to stand out. So that's the main thing that I always push to my students. So I always feel like, you know, tell me if, I'm interested if you agree or not, but I always feel like, you know, to learn a skill, you have to start by copying, right? You you study the people that have done it already and you have to get good enough at that. Mm -hmm. And then you have to break out and start doing your own thing. Right. And, And I feel like a lot of people, I don't know if it's that they never get good enough to really do their own thing or if that they just stop there and, and, you know, stay copying people. Yeah, right. Well, I always say seldom is an idea completely original. Mm-hmm. There, sure. there are ideas that are great and creative, but there's always an origin to those ideas. Something inspired that person to want to juggle the way they juggle or scratch right. the way they scratch. I think the key is, can you interpret what you're learning, or you use the word copying, can you reinterpret it in a way that changes it somehow? That's all it takes is reinterpreting a technique, not doing it exactly the way said DJ who did it. You know what I mean? Like you wanna be able to learn from someone and then redefine it and take it a step further. And that's why this art form has been around for so long is because a handful of DJs, each era, figure out a way to expand the palette, the blueprint, so to speak, of what DJing is. So yeah. it started with Grand Wizard Theodore moving the record back and forth. Then Grandmaster Flash grabbed the fader and started incorporating the fader. Then Grand Mixer DST was like, I'm not going to just scratch break records at a party. I'm going to get with this jazz pianist and make a song, a jazz song with scratches. It just kept evolving, you know, and For sure. and it, it it's become what it is today because each era had its handful of DJs that knew 
there has to be more to this than what's out than what people yeah. are doing now, you know? Yeah. So I know when, when we were talking over email, shout out to my man, Jen Eric for connecting us. Um, you know, I, I brought up the idea that, you know, I feel like DJs are the original entrepreneurs of our era. Mm -hmm. um, so, and now, you know, you're obviously very entrepreneurial and now you're launching your own uh, online school. Um, what's, what's been the hardest part of this? Yeah, I'm, of getting the school up it's, it can't be the djing part i think i'll be honest with you i think the hard part is shooting the tutorials <laughs> i don't okay. think i don't think people will ever appreciate the work that goes into it you know um i have to script out what i want to say outline it in a way that's cohesive that's understandable and we're talking about an art form that there isn't any real traditional schooling sure. for. You know what I mean? Like, right. this is an art form that was created by a, a kid in the Bronx, a young black teen messing around with his turntables, you know? And it's not like he was like, well, I'm scratching for four beats and I'm coaxing these sounds at uh, this BPM. And, you know, I'm dealing with notes and nah, he was just doing stuff intuitively and people like myself have to put terms to what they were doing so that it makes musical sense for someone that has never done this and is watching a tutorial from their couch. So sure. planning out a tutorial understanding how to teach moves and explain the most intricate techniques is to me the hardest part of running Brolic Army DJ School. And then on top of that, people don't realize, you know, I edit all the tutorials myself. So oh, wow. I shoot it, you know, whatever, three, four, five hours sometimes later, I'm done shooting. Now I got to sit down in front of the computer for another three, four, five hours and edit everything so that it flows correctly and people can sit down, watch it and not feel like they have to watch it again. So to me, the hardest part of running the school is the content, shooting the content, editing it, making it all digestible. But I have fun not complaining. It's fun for me and I'm glad that I have the school and I have a platform, my own platform. I'm not teaching for someone yeah. else or another school. This is my shit. And people can come to my platform and learn the way I feel they should learn. So, I mean, it's a good thing you have all that uh, discipline of putting in the hours of practice. Or, yeah, because that, that, comes, that comes into it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about something you, you had on your blog um some some rules uh you said there's something really fake about believing you can fake it till you make it and that's obviously such a popular term in our uh in our world um so well so here here's here's what you said you said number one express yourself honestly um can you think of a time when you when you haven't done that and you've had to kind of catch yourself or it's come back to bite you 
Oh, definitely. When A, when I visited Dr. Butcher for the first time and I thought I was going to impress him because I can do all of Aladdin's routines and all of Cash Money's routines and all of Jazzy Jeff's routines just like them. I wasn't expressing myself honestly and he called me out on it and a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh, I get it now. I get it now. Like, it's about me finding my voice through this art form, not copying someone else's voice for the sake of people thinking I was as good as that someone else. It's not about people saying, you're as good as Jazzy Jeff or you're as good as Cash Money. It's about people just appreciating you as an individual who's being creative and expressing themselves honestly. That's one occasion that I can think of. And I would say the next occasion that comes to mind where I felt, nah, this is me being disingenuous was after the success of Lincoln Park's It's Going Down collaboration with us, mm -hmm. Loud Records folded and Columbia, or was it Sony? It was Sony the brother company or the father company mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, took us on. And I remember the A&R there. You could tell he didn't know who the executioners were, but he knew it's going down. And he understood yeah. that that was our hit song. So we felt, or I, I'll just speak for myself. I felt as if though, basically the A&R was like, give us another record like it's going down. Of course. When we, when we heard that, we went in the studio and tried recreating that song, but with other artists. I, I remember mm -hmm. we worked with Rob Zombie on a track. Um, I'm talking about the Revolutions album, the third Executioner's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. album. There was a song, a lot of the songs, actually, not just one song, but like multiple songs had like, the, the, that feel of it's going down, but it wasn't it's going down. And I remember leaving the executioners because of that in mm -hmm. 2004, because I just felt like the group sort of lost its identity because we were trying to please the record label and make another rap rock hit song. Sure. So as an artist, you have to be honest with yourself, man. And those moments where you realize like, whoa, am I doing this for the right reasons? Yeah. You got to look in the mirror and be honest and truthful and admit that you might be. And that's okay. Sometimes, you know, we all lose ourselves sometimes, you know, we get caught up sure. in whether it's, you know, the success, the money, um, and you kind of, chase that and you're not even aware that you're not doing it for the reasons that you started off doing this whole I mean thing. you know that I'm glad you said that because you know that is so hard mm -hmm. right and and you know artists are crowd pleasers by nature right if you weren't you wouldn't do it you know I sing in the shower you know what I mean if you didn't care what anybody else right. thought about what you were making you wouldn't share it with people right um and so, but you know, but the crowd doesn't know what's right. They only know if they like something, 
once it's already done, uh, right? And, and, and so I think it's so, you know, we see that over and over throughout history of getting caught up in with the label, the manager, the radio, the, you know, you know money is, is a good barometer for how well you're doing at your art, right? But it can also mislead you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, that is a, it, it, I think it's a lifelong struggle for every artist and some handle it better than others. Uh, but to, to kind of know, you know, when to listen to that voice inside and when to check it against maybe something else. And, exactly. and it's, I'm, I'm sure that never goes away. Sure. Um, so you had, okay, number two, you had asked questions. So um, what's, what's the key to, to asking better questions? When, you, when do you know you're asking the right questions? Well, it's really about asking one question. And from that one question, organically, other questions come. But you always, I feel, want to ask yourself, well, what else? It's literally just two words. What else? You know, if you learn a specific technique, by all means, pat yourself on the back. You learned this hard technique. Then ask yourself, what else? You know, and from there, the other questions present themselves to you. And it's important to never become complacent or try to avoid becoming complacent because that's stagnation creeps in and then you stop growing yeah so what else that's that's all you got to ask man what else how do you do that now you you you've been you know you you know this stuff Mm -hmm. how do you challenge yourself now to keep growing uh well obviously it's not like i'm competing Mm -hmm. right i I made a name for myself uh, i made a name for myself and got my foot in the proverbial, you know, DMC, new music seminar, DJ competition world by competing. Right. And I don't necessarily feel like I have anything to prove there anymore. And then I started recording and experienced myself as a recording artist and working in a studio. Mm -hmm. Now I'm asking, well, what else, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I can record, I could experience myself as a DJ in a recording studio, collaborating with musicians, other rappers. It it doesn't have to just be about me on a stage by myself for six minutes going nuts. Like I can showcase my creativity and my technicality and my skill making music. All right, what else? Tour. What is it that I need to do now to propel myself further and get people to want to book me in their cities and their countries and experience connecting with people through my music that may not even speak English, you know, and visiting countries like Japan and um, Australia and Germany and Shanghai and Beijing, like Lebanon, Greece, the list goes on and on. Like, I've been all over the world. Then it's what else? Well, all right, give back to the art form. I accomplished all of that, right? How can I give back? How can I ensure that DJ culture moves in a 
positive direction. All right, teach. And that's where I'm at now. And what else from here? Maybe, who knows? I might manage other DJs, right? I might start my own booking agency. You know, a lot of DJs may have the t- all the talent in the world, but don't understand how to how to flip that and make it into a viable career where they're supporting themselves off their creativity and their talent. Um, And luckily I've had nothing but years of experience doing that. So that, what else might be that? Like, man, I feel like the different directions that I could take what I do from here and I'm not going to say they're, they're endless, but they're just a lot, you know, and sure. right now I'm just focused on teaching and making sure that I pass on the art form in a way that's organic and authentic. And I'm sure when, when the time comes for me to then make that next jump, I'll be ready. Nice. Okay. Back to the blog post. The last thing you said is make better choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you, uh, and, and, you know, you just listed off some really smart choices you've made. Um, that's gotten you to this point. How do you learn from mistakes? How do you how do you evaluate the choices that you've made and figure out what to do better next time? I think it's just a matter of self reflecting, man. You know, and hindsight is always twenty twenty, obviously, but. Mistakes are good. Mistakes aren't necessarily a bad thing. So it's like, you don't, you don't want to avoid making mistakes because that means you're not trying. You're not, you're just sitting at home doing nothing. Like, right. yeah, like I could, I could, let's say I'm an amateur DJ and I'm just posting videos of myself from my home studio, cutting it up. And then I post videos to Instagram and I'm getting all the likes and all the follows and all that because, you know, I, I spend the three, four hours it took to get my video, my one 60 second beat juggle routine to sound perfect. And now everything, mm-hmm. everyone thinks I'm perfect. And everyone thinks that like, I'm mistake free, I'm error free. I'm so ill with it and all that stuff. But then like, if I don't compete, because I'm afraid for people to now think, oh, well, he's not as good live as he is sure. in video. Am I growing really? Like, am I growing? Like, like, you know, sometimes when you fail, it puts a battery pack. Actually, for me, it's all the time. Every time that I've failed, it motivates me to just try harder and overcome whatever it was that I failed at. For me, it's every time that I fail. So that's great. Failure is another word for mistakes, and mistakes aren't bad. Failure isn't a bad thing. So people shouldn't go about whether it's DJing or any other thing that they do in life weirded out by the idea of failing or making a mistake. Mistakes are a part of the process of growing and getting better at something. Like you. You can't have one without the other. There's no way to, in terms of, let's say, the Brolic Army DJ school, there is absolutely no way that you could 
sit down in front of a tutorial of mine and learn it from the first step to the last step perfectly. Like you're gonna make mistakes on your way to master yes. this technique, right? It's, it's, it's unavoidable. It's a part of the process of learning or achieving a goal. So I don't, I embrace mistakes to be honest with you. No, I think that's great. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, music, all musicians have to teach the world is that, right? Cause no, no song starts out perfect and nobody masters their instrument on day one, right? All you do is make mistakes day after day until it's, until it's great. Exactly. You know what I mean? And even then, right? Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, there's so many areas of life that we could use that type of thinking and training mm -hmm. to, to benefit us. Right. Um, so, so that's great, man. Dude, this is, this is so much fun. I, I know I got to let you go get back to your day. Um, I want to do a quick lightning round before we get out of here. Um, so uh, what's your favorite city to travel to? Favorite city to travel to would have to be San Francisco. Okay. Dope area. And the food is good. The climate is good. The vibe amongst the people. I've always liked San Francisco. Yeah, I grew up there. That's my city. Yeah. And uh, we had a great, great, we've always had a great DJ culture up there. Exactly. Incredible DJs on the radio and the clubs. Um, that's cool. Uh, okay. You're not going to like this question. Um, who's your favorite DJ? Ooh, my favorite DJ. Ah, there's so many, man. Um, I think of all time, I'd have to say my favorite DJ is Gramix or DST. I, I feel like he's the first guy to put musicality to what we do. And DJing right now is so much about musicality. You have seven-year-old kids posting videos of themselves killing it and sounding musical and their structure to their routines and all that, which is incredible. Uh, yeah. I think at seven, at seven years old, I was just still playing with toys. I wasn't even thinking of <laughs> yeah, but, for sure. But I feel like we owe a lot of that to Grammix or DST. Like he brought a, a musicality to the art form that still resonates. No doubt. And, you know, I think that's a great credit to Herbie Hancock to understand, right. to, to, you know, at that time in, in music and history, to, to have a DJ on your record is, you know, that was unheard of. Um, what's the last great book you read or listened to? The last great book I read would have to be, God, I read a lot and there are a lot of good books out there, man. I think The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer, that yeah. book was really deep and it really made me think a lot about thinking too much, <laughs> which is funny. It's kind of an oxymoron, but um, kind of just going with the flow. Sometimes we have dialogue in our minds about stuff that at the end of the day is unimportant, you know? Um, and that book really goes deep into 
processing things as they happen and dealing with them and then moving forward and not necessarily clinging to events, whether they're good or bad or um, things that people may think about you or say, you know, in DJing, you know, this scene, dude, like there are a lot of haters out there and people that, you know, they'll just diss you for no reason and shit like that. And like that book has helped me deal with a lot of that. So for example, now, let's say I throw up a post and someone says something stupid on social media, the old Rob would have got into an argument with that person. Like, <laughs> you, you don't know what you're talking about, whatever the case. The new Rob just deletes them or blocks them if, yeah. if it needs to get to that. Um, yeah. So now you don't even have a voice no more on my platform. And you, then you move on to the next post and you forget about it. You don't sit there and think about what the person said for the next day, two or two or three, because like, then you're stuck like in a time that already passed you and you're not even present with what's going on. You know what I mean? And again, stagnation is dangerous. So that's a good one. That's cool. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Nice. That's yeah. a great movie. Um, who's somebody you've learned a lot from who you haven't met? So many people, dude. Um, damn. I'd have to say there are a lot. One person that comes to mind Probably Les Brown. He's a like a motivational speaker. And okay. I actually think he passed away. So, but that guy is deep. That guy is deep, man. The shit that he says about just like overcoming obstacles and stuff and believing mm-hmm. in yourself when I'm others look him up. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yep. Nice. We'll check that out. Okay, last one. If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? How can we make it better? Mm. That's great. Word. That's great. Well, dude, man, I appreciate you. This is so much fun conversation. Right on, man. Uh, we'll have to, hopefully we'll do it again when we can meet in person. Right on, man. Wanna, so I want to encourage everybody to check out the Brawlick Army DJ School. If you're trying to learn how to DJ or learn the history, go hit up Rob Swift. Word. Um, and uh, let's all check out the Halls of Karma. It's out tomorrow. So by the time this episode comes out, it'll be out on streaming. And uh, I, I've listened to it. It's some, it's some definitely dropping some interesting topics. Dope. Yeah, man. It's a dope record. So thank you, man. Uh, everybody should go get it. Dude, thank you, man. Yeah, that was Rob Swift on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Head over to Brolic Army djschool.com and sign up maybe you'll learn how to dj and you'll come on this show and tell us your story i don't know uh hit us with a comment at rebel radio net on facebook twitter instagram wherever you like and most importantly come back next week for more rebel radio peace